Welcome to the Better Future podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is... Kirsten Mann. I'm Global VP of Product Experience for Oracle's Construction and Engineering Global Business Unit. This podcast series is a special series where we focus on design in the boardroom. It's a series of infield recordings and live panels with design giants from around the world, and we discuss how boards are leveraging design to accelerate economic outcomes. In other words, how is design being managed up, down, and across the organisation? In this episode, Mark and Florian dive into Tashin, focusing on books, publishing, and having the board and C-suite aligned on creating superlative designed experiences. It's a special model that may not suit all businesses, but demonstrates that we're not all built from the same ground up and that different models will apply for different business DNA. My name is Florian Kobler. And Florian, what's your role at Tashin? I am working as an editor um, so putting books together, um, in-house editing, uh, a whole variety of different themes. And um, Tashin is in particular um, not dealing in licenses, so they're doing all their books themselves, meaning um, we produce three or six languages simultaneously. So my role is not only um, bringing text and images uh, together, mediating between uh, talent and, and design and publisher, but also producing um, those books in, simultaneously in several languages. So I doubt there's anybody who would be listening who hasn't read a Tashin book at some stage. And, and what's interesting about the Tashin enterprise is that it's, it's one of these uh, unique enterprises that we're, as we talk, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk, uh, David Bowie, um, Steve Jobs. We're going to be talking about artists and, and just those virtuosos who bring a special quality across all aspects of the organization. And, and what's interesting there is that means that the way that Tashin has solved some of its market challenges are going to be unique. It's not a classic ex- execution. And and uh, listeners, in the pre-conversation that Florian and I were talking about a couple of the different architectural practices that he's worked with over the years in, in putting books together, and he was ref- reflecting on the way that um, people in in a Dutch architectural practice versus a Swiss architectural practice, the different work culture that they had, but also looking at the work that they were producing, which meant that they were managed in very different ways. But it didn't necessarily mean that one was better or one was worse. It just was that they were different. And that probably means that there's some people who are well suited to work with an organization that has the artist leading. And there's other people who might want something that is uh, so more of a classical management environment. The output isn't necessarily better or worse. It might be just the experience that the employees have, but also the experience that the customers have. And I think we've seen with um, Apple since uh, Steve Jobs is, uh, is no longer there at the helm since he's died. And the last time that Steve Jobs wasn't at Apple, they became a very different company. And so there's, there's always the hand of the creator there. And, and you've got a very unique creator who's uh, understood how to go bring the savant qualities of understanding publishing, how to create a book which is aesthetically beautiful, uh, content rich, and that's a unique position. So tell me a little bit about that journey as far as 
from a management perspective because you're having to go actually facilitate the inside of uh, of a savant rather than actually a managing director who might be more more rational and more measured about things. Well, yeah, I think um, you're already touching on a, a few very interesting points. Um, and one thing I wanted to add to what you just said, um, what comes to my mind when you bring up these different approaches, artist-like or more, let's say, uh, agency-driven, um, there is a there is an essay by Claude Lévi Strauss called La Pensée Sauvage, and he compares um, ethnological um, uh, entities, um, cultures, or he divides them into cold and warm cultures, where you know you could say one is more a nomadic approach and the other one is more um, uh, agricultural. But it's a whole it's a whole model of how um, societies thrive and one is more um, circular they have to deal with limited resources they have to dwell for example on an island and and um, they have a whole different set of uh, parameters than um, what he refers to as hot cultures who are linear who are who have a notion of progress who have uh, a notion of expansion and it would be hard to say one is more worthy than the other or one is has the better output than the other what happened most uh, over history is that the hot cultures extinguished uh, the cold ones whenever there was a, a, a cultural clash and we're only now sort of realizing how valuable a lot of the knowledge of those so-called cold cultures um, were where people were more in tune with uh, with nature and so on and so forth so we're looking at some some a little bit of that kind of divide and approach in in um, in the corporate world as well. Just in in how far um, um, goals are achieved or products are being created. I'm not entirely sure because you said that the consumer experience will differ. I'm not entirely sure. You know which kind of approach will necessarily create which or, or, or cause which kind of uh, consumer experience, and I also wanted to say that um, even though we can certainly qualify the publisher in the case of uh, Tashan more artist-like, you know it would also not do justice to him to say you know he's he's not a number man he's a crazy number man and he's a crazy. Um, um, businessman and a, a diehard, um, you know, the, the company wouldn't thrive, and that's probably the first thing to mention and to say, and he would probably do the same thing, wouldn't thrive had it not this outstanding um, distribution, global distribution system that sets it apart from all other book publishers or art book publishers that allows him as a global operation to distribute his books through his own network anywhere in the world. And it was an early partner of his who, who organized the system for him. So you could say he probably didn't do it himself, but he was smart enough early on in his 20s when he founded the company to go together with other people who had you know, just as much savant-like quality in a different field um, that at least made him you know, so powerful that he could afford his very genuine business model to, 
you know, be uncompromised. But he couldn't live that. He couldn't do that. And other people have tried to do that, you know, put out the right products. You, you're nothing with the right products if you can't get them to the people um, everywhere. If you have a global product but no global distribution system and publishing is extremely uh, challenging, you know, to get these books in even lower quantities spread out over the world. Um, it's an extreme challenge if you're not exactly Jeff Bezos. Um, so a lot of people fail, even though their books might also be, you know, worth the while. Um, but it's just not enough to only go into the creation and the execution. You also have um, those other aspects. And so there's, and you're 100% right, that there's, uh, there would have been early days, which was the amalgam of a range of people who were helping to to create the momentum, and then the reserves and resources. And by the way, um, sorry to add that that guy Kuhnemann, who, who 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 was responsible for the distribution system, they split up after a period of ten fifteen years uh, on on differences, and Kuhnemann then launched his own company, even bigger, even more driven by distribution, but it lacked the creative uh, genius and it failed. It, it, it uh, went bankrupt after a few years. Um, and, and so then that brings that interesting thing, which is the, the scale part was, was added into an incredible creative base. And if I go back to somebody like David Bowie, so David Bowie was fortunate that he had an incredible creative capacity and he understood how to how to adapt and change to give audiences. Uh, he would always take them somewhere they hadn't been before. But he also had a record which was, I think it was two low-received albums and one highly received album and and that was enough for for him but he was an experimenter and he and he would but he was trying to take people somewhere else but that wouldn't have worked if he hadn't have had the record companies the distribution and the promotion partners behind him so so we, you've got an organization which has um, built up that capacity it's then got a great creative offering that's in there and so there's something about the Tashin books which is uh it's a human moment which many other books don't don't achieve. And so it's got the great foundation of the global distribution. It's got good management, but it's not a classical management structure. It's more, you know, there's three different models that we look at for businesses. There's orchestration, there's an ensemble, and then there's a circus. And, and the ringleader in a circus it creates everything. They're there from being the spruker. They're there helping all of the acts to do what they have to go do in it. And I'm not meaning it in any derogatory way, but it sounds like Tashin is more of a circus. In any in any sense of the word, I would say. Yes, and, and, that, and that's great because circuses are an amazing type of entity, but very few businesses can conduct themselves the way a circus can. And whereas an ensemble, you know, you get a small number of people, you can all feel off each other. And I think in the pre-conversation, listeners, we were talking about some of the scale challenges that are out there for different, different, particularly architectural practices. You know, I, I see some architectural practices that seem to be sitting around the, the 50 to 100 staff. Uh, last week, I was at Alison Brooks in, in London. Relatively small practice for the quality of work that comes out in the size of the commissions. Uh, we've also spoken about uh, the Barker Ingalls Group, uh, that, you know, they've gone through this massive scale. That's going to be interesting see where is that uh, something which has an enterprise scale in it 
but with Tashin, we've got this interesting thing where you seem, you seem to be sitting around about the same number of people, which is what, it's about two, three hundred? And that would indicate then that the circus that's able to operate inside this model is you understand its dimensions. But to create that magic, it needs to actually have, you know, the right number of people in each department, which isn't going to be written down in a Harvard Business Review. It's not replicatable. But by observing it, you can understand how a unique player may be your challenger in the market. And you have to work out, are you an orchestra, are you an ensemble, are you a circus? And so that's what I'm enjoying about our conversation here is just celebrating and, and thinking about a very different organisation that everybody knows, but they probably don't understand how it operates. And yeah, I, think, I think the one answer or the one thing that comes to mind is human scale. And um, <clears throat> when you say, well, that's what I pointed out, that the company is uh, at a scale where it can just still be managed by, uh, by one person. Um, I would also say, you know, was it bigger? You would have to be delegate. You would be, have to be delegating entire fields of business or entire processes. And that's something that doesn't really happen at Tushin, which is which can be within sometimes very frustrating, you know, because you feel you're stepping on, uh, you know, on, on quicksand and you're not getting, getting, getting further. But that is inherent to the, to the business model. It is something, as you say, where probably the circus director is constantly having full control or at least a strategic control over what's happening. And that's not a coincidence that's well intended. And um, yeah, I think the analogy is not so bad. Um, the publisher would would qualify himself as a as an entertainer, as a as a ringmaster, as yeah. a ringmaster, or the whole business as you know, is part of the entertainment uh, industry. And that's something that you know few other publishers, if at all, have have done to that extent. To you know, he's not limited to the medium book. Even though he's a, I would say he's a book fetishist and book lover, you know, beyond anything else. But he believes in the book as an object that is not, you know, uh, restricted to a barcode or to, you know, its physical limits. He's constantly trying to push those limits. Also because he's convinced that the technology of book is absolutely timely. Uh, even though everyone talks about digital, but we, I mean, Tashin did for two years try to do ebooks, and and you know the, uh, the the demands and execution were extremely high because you have different screen sizes, different uh, uh, operating systems. It's a complete nightmare to produce at a quality where you want to have you know each page curated uh, to perfection. Um, but worse than that, not only was it a nightmare to to produce and create. There was no demand. And um, just to say that, you know, the product book, as soon as it's, con I'm not talking about encyclopedias, obviously they're not no longer in print and they won't come back in print uh, for obvious reasons. But there are books that are still superior to websites or, or even online databases because the manageability is still um, better than any, any digital operation. Uh, the pressure has become higher on the book market due to digitalization, obviously. And I think it's a good thing that not everything has to be, you know, printed and, you know, trees, trees can also uh, remain unchopped for certain content. 
And at the same time, so it, it sort of uh, strengthened the focus on how to do the job well and which subjects merit to really be bound and, and published as a book. But at the end of the day, um, um, I think he is probably, I mean, that's his biggest quality to know um, from a certain content and from a certain, with a certain approach, how to create just a fetish-like object that, um, that creates that moment of desire, not only because it's, you know, a facade, nice looking, but because the per usability is um, superior to, to anything you've probably uh, um, uh, experienced before. And, um, and that at the end makes a total difference. And the per usability can also be the haptic, can be uh, the visual qualities. It doesn't necessarily only need to be the better index or, you know, but it all, it all is, is uh, all those elements need to come together. And he often says one bad image, for example, in terms of image reproduction can ruin the entire book. And, and I'd have to agree because it's a, it's a little bit like a chef who there's one sour taste in the dish. Exactly. The whole dish is destroyed. So I, early this year I was at a friend's house and uh, I, I walked in and I saw her, her living room and I think it could actually be the warehouse for Tashin because the, there were so many Tashin books there. But what I knew when I saw that was that there was every one of those books was going to be a delight. And, and so that, that then becomes a quality label that says – Keep doing the book because you understand the book better than anyone else. And the one thing I had a similar moment when I uh, years ago went over Frankfurt Book Fair, and I, I mean, obviously I have a jaded view, but I, I went to see all the competitors and looked at all the booths, and I came back to our booth and I thought, this is really crazy how it stands apart because it's the one booth where you don't see one, you know, big signature of, uh, you know, it has this kind of color palette or it has this kind of. Uh, binding approach or I'm not saying Tashin doesn't have series, doesn't have its recognizability. The recognizability in, in, in the Tashin books, in my opinion, is that each single one of them is handled manually, again, the human scale element, um, to its content. So if you have a book on, I give you one example. We did one um, book with a with a photographer, Canadian photographer, who shot swingers in the U.S. The book is called American Sw America Swings, and eventually it wasn't done. But the design idea for the cover was to go for a um, for a tin plate that would have the stars and stripes, and then when you open the the, the tin plate cover, um, it would play the national anthem just to go all in on this um, swinger culture, these naked, not so appealing looking people. It's like the, the, the complete joke um, and, and riding it home um, also like with, with a very um, banal um, design features. Just to say, I mean, it was probably too bold of an idea, but just to illustrate of how far in he would go to, to reinforce the point of the content of a book. Now, I'm very interested because you said so, – so, so I get that, you know, that it's like it's, an, it's a great idea. But you said the book didn't go ahead. 
No, the, the, the book was done, but this okay. tin plate okay. idea, it was probably too complicated or he shied back from his own courage, you know, at the end of the day, he didn't want to do be too blasphemic and do the national anthem or what, whatever it was. But I mean, this illustrates his way of thinking how, you know, he's, he's trying, you know, experimenting with the sacrilege. It's like Jimi Hendrix and the national anthem and the Star Sprangled Banner, and 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 sometimes you you overstep and you just do it, and sometimes you backtrack and you feel ah, you know, and and he has this kind of sensitivity to see you know to explore the taboo and uh, to how far can I go and how far can I shock, and then you know it's also a, a, a quality of his sensitivity to to hold back some of the the crazy ideas and and last week I was in London and I. Um, heard a talk done by Harry Pierce from Pentagram. And Harry's been involved with the repackaging of all the Pink Floyd uh, material box sets. And Pink Floyd, I didn't know this, but they didn't, there was never a, a logo. The Rolling Stones have had the tongue, you know, the different bands have, have their own logo. But the, the Pink Floyd didn't have one. And Harry worked on a, a, a symbol of the pig uh, floating above Battersea Power Station. And he said that he tried to apply it. He even showed some examples of how he was applying it. And I think the technical term was it sucked. It it it, it looked like a pimple. It, was, it didn't actually feel integrated. And so he pulled back from that. Even though he'd invested his time, he knew it wasn't right. And then he went with uh, just a type treatment that came that was derivative of the animals type that was on, on the same album. And it takes, a, as you say, a sensitivity to know whether to do that or not. But if you think of that as a, a management process... You know, Harry's got the privilege of being a partner of Pentagram to decide what to do. The same, the same in the Tashin world that you've got the artist is driving whether something is appropriate for the experience of the or, uh, the audience, not the accountant. Yes, and yeah, you need that. You need the total uh, independence on an economic level, and that that of course is the biggest quality nowadays that uh, the company can do as 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 they please or as he pleases. So. Um, that takes away a lot of um, concern, you know, to not in constantly have to follow e economic uh, uh, limitations, but to really think freely and go all in. Not necessarily have to go all in in the execution. Of course, we have then a production department that say, well, this is crazy expensive. Does it really make sense? Here we could have a cheaper substitute. How about that? So there is this kind of negotiation process after all, but there are numerous examples where we go all in and, uh, you know, we do an investment in quality in printing and binding that is hardly ever going to be, you know, consciously perceived by any other than the actual experts. Um, and we still do it just because it's consequential and it does justice to the subject matter. But, but then that also talks uh, similar to a fashion house who their couture range has to be as Absolutely. magnificent as, uh, well, their ready-to-wear and couture has to be in sync because you can't have a brand that it represents certain values and qualities and then they do cheap and shoddy work so you know, that makes sense that you're going to have a couple of projects that are just for the for the other diehard aficionados of the print and publishing process because that then speaks to the rest of the rest of the quality of the brand yeah and there are other i mean publishing is um the product making and in, in publishing is such a complex business you can always <clears throat> you know add a feature that's costly but then um you know 
take different decisions that may help you to lower the price. And Tashin has one big advantage over every competitor. It's like the H&M in terms of quantity. Every publisher, every printer is licking their fingers to, to do work with them because they can do, I don't know, two, three, four, five times higher print run due to their global business model. And um, so the scale is always, um, you know, offers them a bigger flexibility. They can do the same kind of production at a cheaper price, or they can do the same price, but add 300 pages, or add a, a, a funky feature like a hologram cover, or you know something else. And that, at the end of the day, can make the difference to creating uh, you know, a, a, a product of real appeal, as opposed to a dull um, you know, book that has already been there and no one really needs. And and I'm sure that most listeners don't understand that the majority of publications that are out there, the printing press hasn't even got going. You know, I, I know for the Driven by Design awards annuals that we do, the, we're at that point that the the printing press hasn't even got up to speed and we've done the complete run. So, so for a printer to say, finally I get my machine to go and actually run is – great for them because the short-run publications are actually quite expensive for them and they'd love to go have, as you were saying, licking their fingers because they've then got a partner that they're working with who gives them volume and printing is a volume business. It's not a short-run business and so that must be, that's a, a from a sustainability of the business perspective, you've got this volume which really most people struggle with. I know even musicians. I was uh, I had the afternoon yesterday with a musician here in Berlin and her work is fantastic but she's yet to get to that stage of getting to the volume of CDs or the volume of tickets. The moment she gets past that threshold, the economics begin to perform so much better for her. Yes. And otherwise, whether it's in print publishing or it's musicians or other things, if you don't get the volume up, you really are struggling. And that, that's interesting that, you know, quite a long time ago that Tashin got to that position. From the outset. I mean, that's, that's the second uh, secret, let's say, to the business model is the global distribution. And they're linked because of the global distribution, because of doing all the languages simultaneously themselves. They're able to scale um, to much larger quantities, and that brings the prices down, which allowed them in the beginning to to enter the and 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 disrupt the traditional um, illustrated book market. And I mean, until today, gives them this additional um, level of freedom and additional level of power um, in the field. Yeah. This, this has been fantastic to be able to take a, a walk around the Tashin business and examine the way that it's different because, you know, this is the type of thing that don't do this at home, you know, don't do this. This isn't the way that everybody's going to be able to run a business. But it's important that if you're setting your goals and you're trying to work out your governance model, you don't say we want to be just like, and, you know, that used to happen. Everyone said we want to be like Apple. Well, Tashin and Apple are very similar because of the type of founder that's behind them. And even Apple now is having to not be Apple. And that's an important thing that people understand. There's a difference between the orchestrated business model, the 
ensemble and the circus and it's fantastic to have been able to go get some time to just explore some of those different aspects of the circus and i'm not even sure you know to what extent the comparison to apple is adequate i think there are definitely elements that are um very striking uh, strikingly similar this reality bending syndrome i had been mentioning that Steve Jobs describes in his biography, that's something that was actually gifted to a few people at Taschen. Um, and and my reading was that the, the reality bending syndrome is the element that struck him as a moment where he recognized himself. And we certainly all did because he has this talent of getting his staff fulfill the unfulfillable um, challenges um, quite constantly. And um, so in that sense, these companies have something very much in common to having these bold claims that seem uh, implausible and by um, by inducing you know probably some kind of bigger sense making making them somehow happen sometimes even at, gr at great expense um, um, at the same time um, you know, I think if you can take have one takeaway from the approach that Tashin has then it it would be, I said human scale. I could also say um, one-off interventions. It's just using common sense. It's looking at any problem with a fresh mind and putting yourself also into question. It's not. It's certainly not a uh, an approach where you know one conviction is being um, pushed through decade after decade unaltered. No, he puts himself into question constantly. He puts his structure into uh, his company structure, his staff into question constantly. He probably puts his own, you know, style conviction or his own taste into question constantly, which can drive you mad. But uh, uh, as a as a as a uh, as a person accompanying that, but I think he's in a sense probably a prototype of an agile um, thinker and person I can't say you know um, if that's true in every aspect of his private life for example um, I wouldn't go that far to be able to judge but in terms of how he runs the company and the business I think that is true to a large extent and um, it reminds me a little or the approach reminds me a little bit of a sample DJ hip-hop artist who does not necessarily create as much himself as he observes and as he has the sensibility in you know um, realizing what's the next coming trend or even what's probably the, the longest forgotten trend and re-excavating that that's what actually most of the time happens it's just stuff that just lies beyond everyone's eyes and no one no one appreciates it any longer but in his eyes there is you know that that lost um, um, brilliance and that uh, you know he has he has an eye for that and he reshuffles that and remixes that with the newest technology with the newest um, taste in color or in in in, in approach and tone and all of that, the mixing makes makes a difference, and it needs a lot of sensitivity for that. So I would say, you know, the 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 flexibility, and the putting everything into question, and the readiness to um, to stay agile is probably the biggest quality to that approach, and not necessarily a single-handed um, quality like. Um, 
I would say, for example, if you go for Jeff Bezos, it's probably his his um, um, user friendliness or or customer friendliness, his his obeyance to the customer's will. That is the single outstanding um, phenomenon. And Tashin has that as well, in a way that you know. Of course, we. One of the sayings is always don't don't belittle the intellect of our readers. At the same time, there is a stronger taste-making will behind the whole operation that will also just do as he thinks is right, because if he thinks it's right, there will be hundreds or millions out there that will consider that um, as well. So there is this element of you know strong auto-conviction at the outset that I think Jeff Bezos would never have. And I think um, uh, Steve Jobs probably was entirely driven by creating this seamless product and um, a, a completely unique, unprecedented uh, user experience. I wouldn't think he's driven by that either. He has the same quality approach. He wants to have the same kind of yeah, seamlessness, let's say. But he would achieve it for each single subject differently. And he would approach it for each single subject differently. Probably he would even put, you know, people with whole different talent on different books and subjects because he knows this subject needs a striker, as you put it beforehand, and this subject needs more a defense man. And um, I think this is probably the, if you want, the the sensitivity and the flexibility are probably the, the um, so the heterogeneousness of the whole operation is at the end of the day probably the criteria that defines it the most. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the interesting thing that uh, we know Bezos is very much uh, data-driven and there's a rationality behind it. But we also know that humans are very non-rational beings. And I think what Tashin is doing is making a proposition that appeals to the non-rational side of people and is delighting them in that sense. And uh, it's been an amazing half hour to get to understand more about the business and the uniqueness of, of how it manages from its boardroom all the way down to the execution and across the organization because it's a unique beast and it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Florian. Thank you.